scripture readings from Acts, uh, chapter 1, and then to chapter 28. It's in your bulletin. Follow along as I read. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening they expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask that we would be able to see that we would be able to hear and that we would be able to understand. We pray that you would um, open our hearts, help us not to just hear the word and not do anything, but to hear the word and be changed. We thank you for this time and uh, we pray that you would be with Andrew and give him uh, your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, what do you do post-Christmas? You know, it's come to this time and we're through Advent. This week, uh, or this year, this time around, we have a great opportunity just to sort of finish off the story of Mary. We've been looking at uh, the nativity through her eyes, the Advent, the whole ministry of Christ, really, through the eyes of, of Mary. And I want to take one last stop along the way. It's actually the last stop of Mary, and it's there in those verses that we read uh, in Acts 1, 12 to 14. This is the very last account of Mary. So that's why we're here and what we're doing. We're going to be talking about sort of where the story lands her. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've, we've talked about the various parts of the story and and how her pondering brought her to understand the, the mission of her son. 
today we end up in this place where she ended up as she continued to carry out that mission. In order to get at this, I want to start with a couple of uh, notable Russians. Uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, Russian novelist, 1900s, uh, or the 1800s, 19th century. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with, have read, been touched by a number of his novels. He said at one point, and this is captured by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a century later, Nobel Prize winner, um, both of whom suffered under various aspects of uh, the Russian government. In his noble lecture, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn quotes Dostoevsky saying, beauty will save the world. Solzhenitsyn ponders, what sort of statement is that? For a long time, I considered it mere words. How could that be possible? When in bloodthirsty history did beauty ever save anyone from anything? Ennobled, perhaps, uplifted, yes, but whom has it saved? <clears throat> I was thinking about that <clears throat> with regards to our story that we're in. You know, as we came together Christmas Eve, we were bringing together the various pieces of the story as Mary experienced them. Uh, we were bringing together uh, her realization that, that she, an ordinary girl from an ordinary place, uh, was called to be the mother of the Savior. We're bringing together the ideas that she saw where the humble are exalted, where the rich are uh, brought low, the hungry are fed, and, and those who have much are sent away hungry. Just this way that the storylines that we're so used to in a power-hungry, bloodthirsty world are overturned. We talked about how the Mary's grief, you know, the sword piercing her soul actually brings her to the foot of the cross. One of the few that are there, incidentally, Mary and there's a couple of other Marys there along with just one disciple that we know of anyway, John, the beloved disciple. And there she, she sees the beauty of her son as he dies for something much bigger and she begins to understand this story. She sees the, the intimacy as her son uh, cares for her even from the cross creating this new community. She's pondering as the resurrection and she hears words of it. And, and then the ascension, which is in Acts 1, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples over the course of 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. Finally, he's taken up on, on the Mount of Olives and uh, the, the disciples are left there gazing into heaven till the angel says, you know, why, why are you still gazing into heaven? Go, you've, you've got work to do. Uh, get ready for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we pick up the story. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, the group of people returning from, to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, when they go to the upper room where they were staying, and, and it lists all these folks, uh, and they were there with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. As I've noted, this is the final appearance of Mary in the scripture. I think there are so many things that we can just connect with this. Um, one, you know, we just connect her, her discipleship. From the very beginning, when, when the angel met her, her response was, behold, let it, you know, I am a handmaid or I'm a bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The humility of her heart and the way that she opened herself up to being a servant of the Lord, serving the Lord, whatever way, now, whatever course that took, it, it culminates in the same spirit. She's there with the disciples, devoting themselves to prayer, uh, seeking the will of the Lord, waiting for that outpouring of the Spirit that will lead them forward. But it's interesting, Mary continues to hold that humble place. Uh, she's one of the, the many at this point. There's no indication here that she has a, a position of prominence or that she has been given any uh, special mediatorial role or some of the stuff that has gathered around Mary in various traditions. Uh, she's just one of the gang. Uh, there, seeking the Lord, ready to carry out the mission of the Lord. And that's where I want us to, to focus this morning, is just uh, the idea that Mary, as the disciple, the one who has seen and witnessed the ministry of her son from such a close-up view, such a unique position, she finds herself, along with her sisters and brothers in the Lord, ready to carry out the mission, ready to bring the beauty of the story to the world. Uh, because maybe Dostoevsky is right. Beauty will actually save the world. So a couple observations for you this morning, actually four of them. Uh, the mission that these folks are on uh, is for all people. From the beginning to the end, this has always been in, uh, in view as uh, God has laid it out. I mean, really from the beginning to the end, we can go all the way back to Genesis uh, where God has promised that he would redeem all people from the, the sin in which they had fallen into. We see that back with Adam and Eve. We see that with Abraham, the covenant that was made. You would be a light to the nations. Of course, we've seen this in the story in Luke chapter 2 as Simeon uh, picks up the, the prophecy where he see, sees Jesus coming into the temple as a baby for his presentation, Mary's time of purification. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Mary heard these words from the very beginning. And as she's putting together the story, she recognizes that it is a story for all people. It's, it's for the Jews, it's for the people 
that uh, God had chosen from of old. It's for them as they hear how God had worked in and through them and, and how God was faithful to the covenant that he had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's certainly for the Jews. We recognize that in Acts chapter 28, the passage that we uh, closed with, because from beginning to end, Acts really captures this story. And in Acts 28, we see Paul in prison, most likely in Rome. People are coming to him in order to, uh, to hear the gospel. He's pleading with the Jews, the people of his own race, that they would, they would hear the message of the gospel. He's teaching them Jesus. He's teaching them this story, Jesus trying to convince them from the law of Moses, from the prophets, about the, the beauty of the story that Jesus encapsulated, that Jesus played out, that story that went through the cross, that came to the open tomb, that now is uh, surviving the reanimation of all creation as Jesus raises from the dead and he is the first fruits bringing men and women uh, after him. So the story has always been for the Jews, but what the Jews sometimes forgot, you can look at Jonah, and Jonah is representative of a lot of Israelites. They forgot that it was for the Gentiles as well. And what we see here in the book of Acts as the mission goes forward, that the story is for all people. What Simeon had said, that Jesus would be a light for the Gentiles, Mary understood the disciples were coming to understand, and they would continue to be about bringing that message to all people. Um, there's a, a warning here, of course, especially when we get to Acts 28. We recognize that not everybody is going to receive it. Uh, many of the Jews go away. Uh, that despite the beauty of the message, it's not something that encroaches on or penetrates everybody's heart. Uh, the Jews didn't want to hear it, uh, and, and so they, they went away. And, and part of what the, the early community had to deal with is we have this beautiful message, but it's a message that not everyone will be drawn to. And this, of course, is something that we continue to deal with as well. The mission is for all people, but it's not going to be received by all people. Secondly, uh, the mission is from all people. Go back to the Acts 1 passage, uh, 12 to 14. Pretty interesting passage there. We see them coming back to the upper room. This is one of those passage I think we can just easily overlook as we, as we read. Um, they go back to the upper room where they're staying, and then it lists the 11 apostles. Um, the, one of the big issues that is before them is replacing Judas, and we see that really taking place in 15 to 26. So it's the 11 apostles sans Judas, without Judas, and then it says in verse 14, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. We'll get to that in a minute. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So there is great pain uh, given or you know, great 
uh, detail given to listing who it is that is in, up, in the upper room. It's a mission for all, but it's a mission that is coming from all. We're, we're not surprised about the 11 apostles. They were with Jesus from the beginning. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. We, we know that they are there to carry the message forward. Mary is there. Again, maybe we're surprised, maybe we're not by that. We shouldn't. We know that she was highly favored among women. Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel mentioned that to her, told her that. She's had this front row seat all throughout Jesus's ministry. She's proven herself to be a disciple that is faithful, a disciple that is um, that is uh, thoughtful and putting together the story and, and being able to communicate it to others. She's proven herself to be that. There is a, a group of other women. We, they're not described uh, for us here or named for us here. In Luke chapter 8, 2 and 3, we, we hear about the, the women who accompany Jesus as he goes throughout the villages proclaiming, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. There were also women with him. And here we have some description. This is verses 2 and 3 of Luke chapter 8. Women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, witness to the resurrection. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. You know, this is one of the things that we encounter over and over again in the ministry of Jesus, and incidentally in the ministry of Paul and others as well, is that women hold a prominent place. Women who didn't often hold prominent places in that particular culture hold a prominent place in the ministry of Jesus. And here we see it again. Not only is it the disciples or the apostles, not only is it Mary, this highly favored one who uh, was the earthly mother of Jesus, but there, is a, there are a group of women who are together with the apostles, with Mary, who are devoting themselves to prayer, poised, ready to continue the mission that Jesus has come to inaugurate, the mission that needs to go to all people. And then the last group that is mentioned there are Jesus's brothers. I don't know how many of you could name Jesus's brothers. This would be a great trivia question. Uh, we uh, maybe someday for the floor of Presbytery, I'll ask new ordinance this to see if they can get it. Uh, but Mark 6 verse 3 actually lists Jesus's brothers. Uh, there are four of them. Uh, I will confess, I did not know this until studying this. Uh, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Uh, these are Jesus's four brothers listed in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It's interesting that they're here and, and maybe encouraging to some of you as well because uh, the, the brothers weren't always super supportive of what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry. I mean, we know that from Mark chapter 3, they, along with Mary, didn't understand. Uh, they, were, uh, they were a bit oppositional to what Jesus was doing, thinking he was out of his mind, and, and all of these things came to take control of them. But in the, in, in the final analysis, we, we see these brothers, 
And I love that because there is hope, I think, you know, as we walk through this. Not, not all of us really get Jesus right away. We don't completely get the mission, what it is he's trying to do. We, we're not completely on board with this idea. And I'm sure some of you have been there at, at different points in your life. Maybe some of you are there right now. You're, you're open to it. I see it, but I don't get it. And I'm not sure I completely like everything. Even this idea of mission, trying to convince people to believe a certain way. I don't know how comfortable I am with that whole thing. But God's grace is so comprehensive. Not only does he ennoble people with a great mission, that's our first observation, but the, the second observation is he invites all of us. No matter where we are, whether we are the, the chosen, whether we are uh, the ones who hold a prominent place in the story, whether we're ones who are discarded by society or aren't really even sure or haven't been sure at some point in our life what to make of Jesus. Here they all are, this mixed bag. And we can talk about the disciples and their background, even though they are the, the chosen apostles. You've got zealots, you've got former tax collectors, you've got a whole riffraff of people brought together to bring the mission, to bring the message, to share the beauty with the world. I, I find that incredibly encouraging. Just as I look out even this morning, we're just so many different people from so many different backgrounds, and yet we're all invited to share in this mission of bringing this beautiful story to the world. Thirdly, how do they do it? Uh, the mission it focuses, at least in this passage, on prayer. Uh, with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, this is an important moment sort of in the redemptive historical uh, outplaying of Scripture. And so we, we have to pay attention to that. There is a, a particular time here. Jesus has ascended into heaven. So he's gone through the cross, you know, the atonement where, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes the sins of the whole world on himself, goes into the grave, comes out again victorious over the grave, the first fruits uh, of the resurrection of which we then are in part. And then 40 days after that, he ascends into heaven where we said he is still the incarnate son of God. You know, he became man so many years ago, but he remains the God man. He remains uh, incarnate, seated at the right hand of the father. And now the disciples are waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You know, throughout, Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away, because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come to you. If I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit will not come to you. So they go back to the upper room, and they are specifically waiting for this moment. And it's interesting to me, and I think it's instructive for us, uh, that in their waiting, they devote themselves with one accord 
to prayer. Uh, there wasn't much to do at that moment, at least in the way that we think about doing. I'm not saying that prayer is not a doing. Like they, they were waiting. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, to fall upon them. It would become, of course, Pentecost. They would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would begin uh, teaching. They would begin going forward in power at that moment. But here, at this moment, they are devoted uh, to prayer together as a community with one accord. A couple of things to note here. First of all, their unity. Uh, they knew what it was that they had to seek. Uh, they knew they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. They knew that they were called to be ambassadors for this one. They knew that they were called to bring this message into the world. There was a unity with which they were about, and, and it was that unity that then became clothed in prayer. I think this is important for us uh, to continue to think about. We're not in the same redemptive historical moment, but we have our own redemptive historical moment, and we're, we're called to a task. And we need to be unified in that task. The task is the same as the disciples, uh, as this group of uh, disciples, broadly speaking, not capital D, but small d. Uh, the task is to bring the beauty to the world. That's our task. You know, sometimes we forget that. We, we think our, our task is to make ourselves comfortable. We think our task is, you know, all of our personal growth and all of those things. It's not that those things aren't important, but the task remains to bring the beauty to the world, to continue to push forward with, with boldness and unhindered uh, this message that, that Paul and so many others coming after this group would bring to the world, that continues to be our task and to be unified in that, uh, to say, you know, what we do here matters for us in as much as it prepares us and equips us to continue to bring the message into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our workplaces, into uh, the foreign mission fields where we either go or are supportive of. Like, like this is our task. It's never just simply about us. It's always about moving forward. And these disciples, they were in one accord with that. And, and, and that one accord brought them to prayer. Because they were desperate. They said, Lord, we need your spirit. We need you to fill us. We need this promise that you have given us in order to fulfill the task that you have called us to. We need that spirit. And so this, this knowledge of their mission created in them a desperation by which they sought the throne of God for the power, for the spirit to bring them forward. Now, again, we are in a different uh, redemptive historical moment. We have the spirit. We are living post-Pentecost. This is pre-Pentecost. We're living post-Pentecost. We have the promise, but our desperation isn't any less. 
You know, if we, if we seek to go forward, if we seek to carry the beauty to the world and we don't feel our inadequacy, we don't feel the desperation of needing one another in that mission, then we probably have just too high of opinion of ourselves. The desperation still is there, that one accord we would come together to seek for the Lord's blessing, to seek for the Lord's direction, to seek for the Lord's guidance as we continue to carry out this mission to the world. Prayer is one of those things where, uh, paraphrasing here Paul Miller, his book, A Praying Life, which is one of the best books on prayer, at least it's been one of the most impactful uh, for me, if you're looking for a book to read on prayer. He says in there, he says, if you're not praying, then you are, and again, I'm paraphrasing, he says you are um, unconsciously trusting in your own time, talent, abilities, gifts, all of these things. Uh, a, a lack of prayer in our lives uh, presumes upon the fact that we can do this without God. These first disciples, they, they had no such illusions. They were desperate. They knew they needed God to show up. And show up he did. I mean, it was while they were together in this room 10 days later, praying that the Holy Spirit fell upon them in what was to become Pentecost. You know, what we know as this mighty outrushing. And that's just the thing, you know, so often, you know, we go through all of our lives and you maybe never experience something like Pentecost. But that doesn't mean that something isn't happening through your prayers, and it doesn't mean that something won't happen. You know, for many of us, we, we've just become very nonchalant. Like, I, I've been to so many prayer meetings in my life, and nothing like Pentecost has ever happened. You know, I, I've been through so many prayer, and I just don't see the results. But you may not see it in the same way that Pentecost uh, is seen and, and it may be that things are happening that you just don't see. There's this great story, David Lodge, he was a, um, a novelist, a British novelist in the 60s, you know, 1960s. Uh, some of you were alive then. I was barely alive then. Uh, some of you can remember exactly where you were when JFK was assassinated. Can I get an amen? Oh yeah, there we go. We all know how old you are now. Um, so you remember exactly where you were. Lodge tells this story. He had written a play, and he was at the play watching it, sort of, uh, you know, just seeing how his, uh, the actors were doing in his work. And in this play, there's a, a, a guy who is listening to a transistor radio uh, in a very nonchalant sort of way. And the actor, just sort of being cheeky, would always put it on a live news broadcast. And the year was 1963, they're in the middle of this play, and all of a sudden, the actual news broadcast comes on that Kennedy is assassinated in the middle of the play. So here is reality coming into this moment of the play, and everything was forgotten. I just love that story because it, it reminds us that 
anything can happen at any time. You know, you, you can be in the most uh, sort of nonchalant way of going about, but prayer, expectation of what we are asking God for can break through at any moment. And, and part of the reason why we don't see these things is we're just not expecting them. We've become so accustomed to the means of grace, to, to worship and to prayer, and we don't really expect something extraordinary to happen when we come to church on a Sunday morning. We don't expect something extraordinary to happen when we gather with believers at, uh, on Wednesday nights or in our C groups or with our ministry teams and we're praying and we're preparing to, to go minister to the youth or to do whatever it is. We, we've given up that expectation that something extraordinary would happen. But these disciples saw it day in and day out. You know, as they went from Pentecost to the conversion of, of Romans embedded into the idol worship of their day, as they saw God move in the hearts, uh, in the bodies of, of folks, they, they saw things happen. They lived with an expectation. They devoted themselves with one accord to prayer. And that is how the mission goes forward. You know, there's a lot. I, I heard a sermon several years ago now, and it was about prayer. And it, it was a good sermon. It had, it had lots of, of good stuff in it. Like it was true, it was biblical. But I walked away feeling bad because I wasn't praying enough. I, I walked away feeling like I had been scolded. Like, you know, this was like, come on, Vandermoss, you, you got to do better. And, and I hope that part of what, as we look at this this morning, I, I don't want you to feel that way. I, I want you to feel invited. You know, like here, here are these believers and this is their hope. Like they feel their lack, they feel their need, they feel the enormity of the task that is before them. They are bringing the message of a, a crucified Jewish carpenter into the seat of the empire. Like what hope do we have? And, and what comes to them is this invitation to prayer. Like, let's get on our knees. Let's seek the God of heaven. Let's seek the incarnate one who is seated at the right hand of God. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to be welcomed into. And that's my prayer for us as a community, is that we would really cherish that aspect of prayer, formally, informally, ministry teams, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, uh, when you're together with friends, you know, just beginning the evening with a prayer, ending the evening, even if you're just playing games that night, you know, coming together one accord, saying this is what we're about. Lord, help us, help us as we go forward, open our eyes, open our hearts that we can share this good news, open our lives uh, that they would have 
the power to go forward. And that's where I want to end. You know, it's interesting. Mary, we never hear from her again after verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. She's important, but she's not the center. We've been saying that from the very beginning. It is the one whom she bore who is the center. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his mission, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. That is the most important thing with which all of us have to do. It's a, it's a story, it's a truth, which we either say yes to or no to. There's no in-between, there's no waiting to decide. Uh, we either find ourselves as disciples of his or not. But there is a power there that will, uh, that is transforming this world and that will bring this world and all of the universe to its completion. The power, the boldness. I, I love the end of Acts. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. Paul lives there two whole years at his own expense. You know, this was the Philippians who were helping him out during this time. We just got done looking at the book of Philippians. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, the center of it all, with all boldness and without hindrance. And, and that's the ending of the, the book of Acts. You know, there, there is nothing that will stop it. It's a mission with power. It's a mission with staying power. It's a mission that will transform the world. It was a, it's a mission that will transform the created universe. It is Jesus from this heavenly throne that is going to bring an end to time that is going to execute the final judgment, that is going to bring the heavens down to earth, make his dwelling place with man. And that is the story that we are in and that we are going to. It's a mission with power. It's a mission where Mary finds herself and she says, I want to be here. I don't want to be in the center anymore. I want to be here following the mission of my son, Jesus. I want to be in that train because I know that that is the power. It's a beautiful story. Uh, and it's something that will change the world when we truly find it, uh, find ourselves submitted to it as Mary is. You know, this whole circle of Mary's life. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Where do you find yourself? Jesus is the center, but Mary is such a great lens to find ourselves in. You know, can we see ourselves as servants of the Lord, open to whatever part you may play, open to whatever role he may give you, it may be a central starring role as it was for Mary on Christmas. It may be a, a role with the hoi polloi as it is for Mary in Acts chapter 1. Whatever role it is, God is inviting you into this mission. He's inviting us together with one accord through prayer to pursue this mission. And maybe, just maybe, uh, the beauty 
of what the world sees in us will draw them, will draw the world to himself. It's interesting. Uh, Solzhenitsyn in that same lecture, he talks about truth, goodness, and, and beauty, this ancient trinity, uh, Greek philosophy, others. It's not simply an empty, faded formula as we thought in the days of our self-confident, materialistic youth. If the tops of these trees, uh, these three trees converge, as scholars maintain, but the two blatant, two direct streams of truth and goodness are crushed, cut down, and not allowed through, then perhaps the fantastic, unpredictable, unexpected stems of beauty will push through and soar to that very same place, and in so doing, fulfill the work of all three. We live in a world where uh, truth is difficult to come by. It's difficult to, for people to apprehend, to comprehend. Goodness, morality, uh, you know, when truth is, is, is uh, beaten down, morality sometimes is hard to find, and we don't really believe it. Uh, and, and so much of our world doesn't, isn't really persuaded either by truth or morality. There's, there's just too much that they have seen, experienced. They, they can't have the confidence in that. But beauty, seeing it in the lives of people. I don't know what you believe, but there's something beautiful about what I see in your life. You know, that is what will draw people. Now, all three are important, for sure. Truth, goodness, and beauty. But as we think about the mission that we have, the story of Jesus, if we can adorn our lives, the beauty of the gospel, what, what a word that is for a weary world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these truths that we come uh, to face-to-face uh, -face with here in your word. We thank you for the, the goodness that it shows us in the life of Jesus and for our own lives. But Lord, this morning, we're, we're so grateful for the beauty of the story. As we've been walking with Mary, here we see this one who had such a front row seat, captivated by the, the mission and ministry of her son. And we pray that our hearts would be so captivated. And so captivated would we together with one accord through prayer uh, show this beauty to the world. Lord, we, we pray that for the church as a whole, capital C. Um, we pray that for our church uh, local C, uh, the, the small C, our local church, Christ church. Lord, we pray that you would bring us together in unity, that you would cause our, our focus to be the, the sharing of all the good that you have given to us. Thank you for the opportunities to do that. Holy Spirit, we pray that even as these folks in the first century, this early church, waited for your coming, and rejoiced in that day, emboldened uh, to go forward with power, unhindered. Uh, we pray that you would fall upon us 
And Lord, we pray that each week you would uh, cultivate that expectation of the great things that you are doing. As we come together for worship, as we come together in prayer, may we not become uh, so, may things not become so mundane for us. May they, we not become so accustomed uh, to the means of grace that we are not, uh, that we are not poised and ready to see what it is you are doing in our lives and in your world. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.